Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you feel like you've already been to church? Wow. God is good, isn't he? Stand with me just for a moment. We're going to read one verse together. And I want to comment on Randy's comment. The ladies did an absolutely wonderful job this weekend. And let me just say kudos and blessing and and favor and thanks to all those who helped with the women's conference. How many of you know lives were absolutely changed this weekend? And that's that's a great, great thing. I was here Friday night, and then I came back Saturday morning for a little bit. My mom and dad celebrated their 65th uh, wedding anniversary Saturday. It was sometime before, but uh, we had to get together a Saturday right after lunch. And so I, I went over to be with them. But I could tell things were hopping around here. And that was, that was wonderful. That was wonderful. W- would you take your Bible this morning? We've been on a series called Extraordinary Faith. And uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And through the series, this is what we found out. Faith gives us access. It opens doors. It opens doors for opportunities. It opens doors for the miraculous. It opens doors for us to step through. Uh, Without faith, we cannot please God. Uh, Faith is better than fear, right? Because uh, faith will cast out fear. And so today we want to take another uh, look at this multifaceted aspect of faith. Romans chapter 10 verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Can we say it together with a lot of gusto and energy? Here we go. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for saving our soul. Thank you for loving us and keeping us. Let your word come alive in my heart and in these lips and in our ears to change our life. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. A man and his wife were struggling to make ends meet. They were having some real financial difficulty. And he came home one afternoon and he found a receipt that his wife had bought a $500 dress. And he was livid. He said, honey, how could you do this? We, we don't have enough money already. You go out and you buy a $500 dress. And she says, I know. I went by the store, I saw in the window, and it just looked so beautiful, I could imagine it on me. And the devil began to whisper in my ear, you need that dress. And before I knew it, I was inside, I was trying it on, I was standing in front of those mirrors that wrap around you, and it looked so beautiful, and he said, honey, you know what to do. You know how to resist temptation. You know to tell the devil to get behind me, Satan. And she said, I did that. He said, honey, it looks good on him from back here too. (laughs) Man, sometimes it's tough because we are tempted by so many things. But can I tell you the first temptation that appears in your Bible? It's not about sex or drugs or alcohol or lying. It's not about stealing. It's not about any of those things. The first temptation in the Bible is to get you and I not to believe the Word of God. 
It's true. The very first temptation in the Bible has God said. God really didn't mean that. That's not what God meant. God said that, but that's really not what he said. How many of you know Satan wanted them not to believe the word of God? Why does he not want us to believe the word of God? Because this is what he knows. If we believe the word of God, then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if we have faith, guess what happens? All these doors begin to open up to us. All of these opportunities, our purpose, our calling, our anointing begins to happen. And Satan does not want that to happen in your life or my life. It's true. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to believe in him. He wants us to have faith. And one of the ways we do that is that you and I develop a mindset of faith. I want to talk to you this morning about developing a mindset of faith. It isn't interesting that that is one of the reasons, I think, that Paul gives us Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, when you look at this, we see what Paul is saying to us and trying to get us to understand, he says that we have to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. It's our reasonable service. And we don't want to conform to this world, but we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so we can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There's three things that happen in those two verses. Here's number one. You must offer yourself to God. It's your reasonable service. Why, Pastor? God can't do something with what he doesn't have. God can't do something with what he doesn't have. Lord, I want you to do this, and Lord, I want you to do that, and God, please help me here. You know what God is saying? Well, Mike, why don't you give yourself to me, and then I can do something with you. But it's hard for me to do something with you because I don't have you. You, you do know some people only want to just serve God when it's, it's convenient. Come on now. Y'all don't shout me down because I'm preaching good here. When it's necessary. You say, what do you mean necessary? Lord, I'm in trouble. I need your help here. Secondly, he says we must not be conformed to this world. The world has a way of, 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 of pushing you into the, to the mold of the world. Now, why does he say that we must not be pressed into the world's mold? Because he says, number one, we have to give ourselves to God. Number two, he says, don't get into that mold because the world is so carnal and so negative. Um, I I saw a poll the other day, 93%, and it gave some of the stations, and I won't give them to you, but uh, 93% of all the news stories that's reported, they they did the survey, 93% are all negative. Isn't it wonderful? You get up in the morning, you feed yourself with negativity. Come home for lunch, feed yourself with negativity. Sit down, watch the 6 o'clock news, feed yourself with negativity. And you say, why am I so depressed? Uh, we've just been feasting on negativity, 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 because that's what's out there in the culture and the world. But lastly, he says here in these two verses, he, he says, we want to have our mind transform. There has to be a metamorphosis of our mind so we can prove what God's will is and what God's will should be in our life. Now, that's where we want to really end up today. And it's interesting that Jesus said that we should, we should serve God and love God, and I notice this, with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. 
So we have to get our mind involved here. This is not just something we do out of religion. Matter of fact, religion's kind of what got Jesus killed, right? So we got to do this out of transformation. This is relationship. This is more than religion. Amen? So here he says, we got to get this mind. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is that possible? Why is he asking us to do something that's not possible if it's not possible? So for it to be possible, what has to happen? My mind has to be transformed. It has to be renewed. So I don't think like culture. I don't think like the world. I don't think carnally. But I begin to think like Jesus would think, how he operated, how he responded, right? So you and I can, according to Scripture, have a mindset of faith. And, and listen, it's no secret. The same people can see the same thing and have two entirely different views of it, right? One of my favorite stories is about the shoe salesman that went to Africa. And he got there and he says, bring me home. Nobody wears shoes here. The other guy goes to Africa. He says, send more shoes. Nobody wears shoes here. I don't even know. It's a matter of perspective. It's how you look at it. It's how you view it. In 1963, Walt Disney traveled to Florida. And the late 50s and through the early 60s, and in, in 1963, that's the year that President Kennedy was assassinated, to kind of give you a little uh, um, kind of context here. Well, Walt Disney was already very successful. He had Disneyland in California. He had a whole plethora of movies that had been successful. Anybody ever heard of Cinderella, uh, the Snow White, Seven Dwarves, uh, Sleeping Beauty? Uh, y'all are movie guys, aren't you? Anybody ever seen any of those? I mean, this guy is already a multi-millionaire. He's already very successful. So he's looking to expand. Now, looking to maintain, he's looking to expand. So he, he, he goes to Niagara Falls, that area. He goes other places. But he thought, I need a place where this could be open, you know, every day of the year if possible. So he goes to Florida, and he finds a place where Interstate 40 is going to intersect the Florida Turnpike. And in that region, he began to buy thousands of acres of swampland. Swampland. I mean, th this was land that you couldn't even use. And most of the land was priced about $180 an acre. So he thought, if I begin to buy it in my name, the price is going to go up. So he set companies up in other names, and he began to buy 27,000 acres of swampland. Now, if you've ever been there, they have lagoons and they have lakes there, and they dug those out, took the dirt, put it on top of the other swampland, and they created Disney World. Now, he's buying this very cheap, $180, somewhere around that uh, number. Then the Orlando Sentinel got word and they heard it was Walt Disney that was buying it, and the land quickly spiked up in some places to $80,000 an acre. He bought 27,000 acres, and of course, he began to build and get ready to build Disney World. In 1964, they began to announce that they were going to build Disney. Well, actually, it became in 1965. They're going to announce they're going to build Disney World. So what people saw is ordinary, cheap swampland. Walt Disney goes in there, and he sees it completely different. Sometimes in our life, we see it as this. 
Somebody else sees us at this. We've got to have a mindset. We have to have eyes that see things completely different than what we think is on the surface. Because if we don't, we fall right back into that same category. We're seeing what everybody else sees. We are experiencing what everybody else is experiencing. I want to just give you just a heads up. God doesn't want you to be like everybody else. He wants you to have a faith that's extraordinary. So, 65, they make the announcement. Do you realize, and some of you do, that Disney World is the most visited destination on the earth? Every year, 54 million people come to Disney World. 54 million people. We were at a conference several years ago, and the guy who ran Disney World, he's originally from Oklahoma, and he was speaking at a conference. I happened to be there, and he, he said, we wanted Disney World to be the happiest place on the planet, right? And he said, we want you to bring your family and have a great time, have a lot of fun, and then he said, and leave all your money with us. And millions of people do it every year. Walt Disney died before Disney World was finished. And it was said when they were dedicating Disney World that someone made the comment, we wish Walt could have been here to see all this. And his wife Lillian made this comment. And she said he did see it. That's why it's here. He saw it before anybody else ever saw it. Isn't that awesome? What happened? He went in there. He saw the swampland, but he saw more than that. He looked with eyes of faith. He saw what could have been, and for centuries, for generations, everybody else just saw swampland, but he saw something entirely different. Take your Bible, Ephesians chapter 1. We want to stay here just for a little bit this morning. In verse 15, now Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, and it begins in this letter, verse 15, for this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, I don't know about you, but those are powerful, powerful words. Did you know that you have eyes in your heart? That's what he said. He said that the eyes of your heart, say that with me, the eyes of your heart. Now, different translations say the eyes of your understanding. He's not talking about natural eyes, is he? What's he talking about? He's talking about a different set of eyes. The eyes of your heart, it literally becomes a matter of perspective. Look with me at verse number 15. He says, your faith. He's talking about your faith. Verse 19, he says, for us who believe, it takes faith to believe, and if you believe, you have faith. You with me? It takes faith to believe. If you believe, you have faith. And if you have faith and you believe, you also now have the ability to what? See with a different set of eyes. He says the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding. You're seeing things beyond your natural perception. You're seeing things beyond your natural focus. You're seeing things beyond your carnal lenses. 
And he says it's the eyes of your heart. What are you seeing today? You have eyes of faith, eyes of unbelief. You know, it's been said, the buzzard and the hummingbird both fly over the same desert, and they both get what they're looking for. It's really true. The other morning, I got up early, and I went out, and I started watering some of Carrie's flowers. She's got these pots of flowers around. We, got, we have several of them. And I'm standing there, and I'm watering these, uh, these pots of flowers, and uh, they're blooming. They're, they're very lush, very lovely, and... The, the hummingbirds come in. Of course, they kind of, you know, buzz around, and they got that long tongue. They stick it in those, uh, those, those flowers. They get the nectar out. And then the honeybees were gathered up that morning. And uh, I don't know what honeybees think about, but I, I do know that uh, they get in the pollen, and they cover themselves in pollen. They fly back to the hive, and they make honey. But as I was watering, I was watching this one honeybee, bee, and I, I don't know if all of them do this, but this little guy, he was not only walking around in the middle of the flower and the pollen, he began to roll around. And I'd never seen that before. And it was almost like he was saying, this stuff is so good. And he got in the middle of the flower, and, 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 and literally he rolled around, and he's got all of this pollen, this yellow on him. And I begin to think, you know, that's what we ought to do with the Lord. The Lord is so good. I'm just going to get in the middle of his presence. I'm going to get in the middle of his will, and I'm just going to roll around. And I'm going to get it all over me. And some of us, we're tiptoeing through the tulips. And this guy's rolling around in it. And I think when he showed back up at the hive, he says, listen, I got it all over me. Let's make some honey, honey. All right? So it's perspective. You opportunity. And you've been around those folks, right? They're always so negative. This is the reason it won't work. This is the reason you can't. This is the fault in this. This is the fault in you. And they're pointing out. They're seeing the fault in everything and everybody. When I watched the news this morning, they announced that the lottery Powerball had not been won. I don't know if you saw that this morning. So next week, it will be so many millions of dollars more. I forgot what the number was. But <laughs> you know this happens. If you won the $100 million lottery, if you did tithe, but if you won it, if you won the $100 million lottery, there's going to be somebody you know that's going to come up to you and say, you know you're going to have to pay taxes on that. <laughs> Probably going to cost you half of what you got. You, you know, you got to, I, I know you want it, but you're going to have to pay taxes on that. You're probably only going to get out of this with 50 million. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? I think I can scrape by on 50 million. Come on, don't point out the negative. Rejoice with me for the positive. How many of you know somebody like that? Don't call their name out and quit looking around. But it's true. I mean, that is that nature. That's why we have to have our minds transformed because we are programmed in the negativity. Can I hear an amen? Let me take you back years ago. You know the story. Abraham had a son by the name of Ishmael that he had with his uh, helper, Hagar. 
It was not really God's will, but sometimes we think we have to help God and we usually get in trouble, right? So here Hagar is and Ishmael and they're having some trouble in the tents of uh, Abraham to say the least. And so there's so much conflict that they, they push Hagar and Ishmael out. And they're in the wilderness around Beersheba and it's arid and it's dry and they didn't have canteens back there, they had animal skins. And when all the water is gone, the skins are dry. Hagar is so upset because it looks like Ishmael's going to die. Her son's going to die of thirst. If you read the story, she places Ishmael in a certain place and she backs away and looks at him and she distances herself from him and says, God, don't let me see my son die. And God heard. Aren't you glad he's a merciful God? And God heard. And an angel appeared to Hagar and said, Hagar, your son will not die. And I want you to listen to verse 19 of Genesis 21. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. What happened? God opened her eyes. Could I ask you a question? Could your answer be as close as the Lord just opening your eyes to it? It's right there. Why didn't she see it before? I'm convinced there's a lot of things we don't see that God's doing. I think God's doing a lot of things around us and among us. We just can't get a glimpse of it because we're looking at it in the wrong perception, in the wrong perspective. God, give me those eyes of my heart. Give me eyes of understanding so I can understand what you're doing, God. 2 Kings chapter 6. Here's another amazing story. Let me set it up with you. Israel and the Syrians are at war. How many of you know there's still war in Syria today? They're at war. And this is so unique because every time the Syrians would attack Israel or they would camp, Israel knew where they were going to attack and knew where they were camped. Now, picture in your mind the Syrian king and all of his generals, they're in the war room, they're strategizing, this is where we're going to go, this is where we're going to attack. And every time they would make an advance or an attack, the Israelites would already be there waiting for them. And this is what he said in, in, in chapter 6. He said, who in here is for Israel? we got a spy in here. Every time we try to do something, they are there waiting for us. Somebody is a traitor in here. And a hand goes up in the back of the room. This guy raises his hand. Let me tell you what's going to happen here. The, this is the story, king. Every time we attack or we strategize, the prophet Elisha down in Israel already knows what we're going to do. God is revealing to him what our strategy is, where our camps are, and where we're attacking. Man, let me tell you what the king said. He said, mount up the army, go find him, and rub him out. We're tired of this. I want to pick up the story in verse number uh, 14 of chapter 6. But before I read, let me give you one line that I think is really kind of funny that that fellow told the king. He says, whatever you're saying in your bedroom, he knows. How many of you know that would be creepy? Y'all are so holy. It would be creepy. He says, whatever you're saying in your bedroom, 
I'm not just talking about in the war room. Whatever you're saying in your bedroom, that guy knows because God is revealing it to it. Pick it up, verse 14. So he sent there the city of Dothan, his horses, his chariots, and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, he went out and behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Folks, this... Uh, this aide of Elisha gets up in the morning. He's going to go fetch water, get breakfast. I mean, he's going to McDonald's, getting an egg McMuffin. I don't know where it's going. But he looks out, and the whole Syrian army has surrounded the city. And he comes back, and he says, Boss, we're in trouble. And that's probably not what exactly he said, but how many of you know they're in trouble there? Look at verse 17. Then Elisha said, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Guess what? God had their army surrounded. But he couldn't see it. Elisha saw it, but the young man couldn't see it. Why? He wasn't seen with the eyes of faith. He wasn't seen with the eyes of his heart. He wasn't seen with the eyes of understanding. Do you realize that your answer may already be here, but you can't see it? That God's already moving for you, but you can't see it? How many of you know this is a faith thing? We walk by faith and not by natural sight. But the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our heart, will open up what God has already done and may be available for you right now. Can I hear an amen? amen. The mindset of faith is seeing what we believe even when we cannot see it with our natural eyes. I think sometimes God throws us in over our heads. You ever feel like he does that to you? God, I'm over, overwhelmed here. I'm in over my head. When I was growing up, Dad would tell me that I did not fear water. He said, Mike, we would go to a swimming pool or a lake or go to the uh, place where there was water. You'd just walk and just keep your nose above the water. I feel like I'm still keeping my nose above the water, but said so you would just keep your nose above the water. And I'd have to pull you out. So I, I, I can never remember learning how to swim. I just... I always remember swimming. And uh, we swam in farm ponds. We swam in rivers. We swam in lakes. Uh, very rarely we ever went to a swimming pool. We didn't know anybody that had a swimming pool. But mother, when Steve and I got older, she decided that we needed to go to the Red Cross swimming instruction at the municipal pool in Duncan. Now, when I was in college, I was a Red Cross uh, certified trainer, but we were big kids and mother said, I'm going to take you up there to the Red Cross certified swimming deal. We're in there with all these little kids with our head on our arm, blowing bubbles, looking at the high diving board, wishing we could jump off the high board. But mother thought we needed to go back down here and learn some of the other stuff. But sometimes, and you've heard this, to teach people swim, to swim, they just throw you in the deep end. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, God just puts you in the deep end, and he says, while you're treading water, 
you're going to be about 30% smarter when you get out. James brings this up. Take your Bible. Turn, turn with me to James chapter 1. And I want to show you a couple of things here. Now, let, let's just kind of do a commentary on James. You, you do know that James is the half-brother of Jesus. We, we think the one who wrote this letter is the half-brother of Jesus. James, we have no record that James or any of the brothers or, or half-brothers or sisters of Jesus ever acknowledged Jesus as Lord or Savior until after the resurrection. Now, we do know that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She was a virgin, virgin birth, gave birth to Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's God incarnate. But her and Joseph had other children, and we actually have some of them listed in the Bible. James is one of them. How would you like to grow up with Jesus being your older brother? That'd be a trip, wouldn't it? Why can't you be like him? Mom, nobody's like him. He's perfect. He's the Son of God. He just is. But we have no record of James or any of that family other than Mary acknowledging Jesus until after the resurrection. Now, James, when he writes this, he doesn't start his letter off to say, James, the half-brother of Jesus. No. You know what he does? He says, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Now James writes to us, pick it up, verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Get out of here, James, really. You mean that all of us here, every time we go through a trial or a testing or a hard time or difficulty, this is what you're saying, what a joyful experience I'm having today. Are you doing that? I don't always do that. But James says that's what we should be doing. Here's some key words. Look at verse 2. He says joy. Really? Joy? Well, if we understand the whole process, it can be joyful. But if we don't, if we don't sit with the right eyes, not joyful. He says trials. Verse 3, testing of your faith. Say that with me. Testing of your faith. Hey, your faith will be tested. Do you realize every truck, every car, almost every product you have in your home, before they sold it to you, they tested it? Do you realize almost every soldier around the world, before they go into combat, they go into boot camp, you know what they're doing? They're testing them. They're trying them. They're educating them. They're proving them. How many of you are a soldier of the Lord? Guess what the Lord will do? He'll do the same thing to you. I don't want to throw you out there and let you fail. I want to equip you so you'll be a successful person. He says, it is joyful to go through this because your faith is being, being tested. Verse 4, it is being perfected, matured, complete, without lack. That's what I want your faith to be. That's not a horrible God. That's a good God. Amen? Amen. He is getting you ready. Do you realize in 2008, Starbucks was losing money? It's hard to believe, isn't it? 2008, Starbucks was losing millions and millions of dollars the, the CEO, Howard Schultz, shut down over 7,000 Starbucks stores for three hours, had his 135,000 employees come back to that location, wherever they were around the world, and he taught them and, and conducted a seminar for three hours 
and shut down those locations to refocus. And I want to tell you what they talked about. He says, we're going to retrain them in the art of the espresso. We're going to revitalize our passion, allow our customers to get their caffeine fixed more quickly. It's more than training. It's about the love, compassion, commitment that we have for our customers. What's he doing? It's a testing time. It's a trying time. It's a refocusing time. In 2016, which is the last physical year, Starbucks made gross income. This is not just the total income. What they kept, $5.25 billion. And I paid a lot of that. <laughs> and I've never drank a cup of it. How many of you think they got refocused? They begin to look at the issue, look at the problem. Folks, if the secular world can do that, how much more can you and I, with eyes in our heart, eyes in our understanding, refocus our life and get a new mindset in what God is doing? Here's another point. Faith is obeying God even when we don't feel like it. Faith is obeying God even when we don't feel like it. Can, can, can you honestly say there's a lot of things that you felt like God wants you to do you don't feel like? At 6 o'clock this morning, my body said, I don't feel like it. Amen. Come on. At 6 o'clock this morning, when my phone went off, my body says, you don't feel like it. Just stay in bed. And I'm thinking, I'm the preacher. I might ought to show up. <laughs> but you know what? I don't think I'm any more important than you. Because your body is going to tell you the same thing. Don't give. Don't go, don't serve, don't do this, don't worship, don't sing, don't play, don't teach, don't get involved, because it's going to be tough. James is saying, that's what I just said, come on. But there is joy at the end of it, because God is equipping you to do what he's called you to do, and you've got to have eyes to see past the natural response, because the natural response is, I don't feel like it, but faith is doing what God says, even when you don't feel like it. Faith is trusting God, even when you don't understand it. Peter, go back out and let your nets down again. Lord, come on, let, let, me, let me school you here. We've been fishing all night. We had not caught anything. If we go out, we won't catch anything again. This is fruitless. But now Peter responded this way. Nevertheless, at your word, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Nevertheless, at your word, I will. So he goes back, lets the nest down, and guess what happens? He catches an enormous amount of fish that fill up two boats. Peter? We need to pay our taxes. Go down to the sea, throw out a hook, and you're going to catch a fish, and in the mouth of the fish is going to be a silver coin. Go pay our taxes. How many of you are looking for that fish? Do you realize in both of those instances, Peter responded to the Lord even when he didn't understand it? Moses, take the rod, smite the rock, and out of the flinty rock, water's going to come out. Oh, really? But he did it. He didn't understand how it was going to happen, but he did it. Listen, sometimes God tells us to do things we don't understand, but faith is doing what God says even when we don't understand it. Why don't I understand it? His ways are not my ways, and his thoughts are so much higher 
than my thoughts, right? So that's what faith is. Philip, leave this revival in Samaria and go down there and preach to one guy, this Ethiopian guy. Lord, I don't understand it, but I will. Paul, don't go to Asia, go to Europe. Why? I don't understand. Just do it. I mean, listen, God was on the Nike staff before Nike did it, right? Just do it. Well, I don't understand. He didn't say you have to understand everything, but he says you do it because it's the Word of God. So that's what we do. According to James, this testing, this trying thing, this being infused with patience, matured and perfection and completion is a huge faith thing. Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes I don't understand it. When you're sick and you say, Lord, I don't understand. When you're challenged in your marriage, you say, Lord, I don't understand. You're going to have to walk by faith. And I'm going to have to walk by faith. There's an old story of a king who was testing his, uh, his people. So he put a big stone out in the middle of the road. And guess what happened? As people went down that road, they just went around the stone and they detoured. And it was kind of hard to get around it. And it took them more time. So they're going around the stone. And it happened weeks and months. And then an old farmer came by. And he says, you know what? I'm tired of going around this stone, taking my produce and my products into town. So he decided he's going to lay everything down. And he worked on removing this stone. It was, it was arduous. It was hard work. And finally he got the stone moved off of the road. And the king had put a big bag of gold underneath the stone. And this was the reason. He wanted the person who was willing to remove the stone, the obstacle out of everybody's way, was going to be rewarded. And most of the time, we see the obstacle, but we never see the opportunity. Who in my kingdom is going to help somebody else on their journey? Who is going to rise to the occasion, and even though they can't see it with their natural eyes, there is a reward waiting if we do the right thing and we see it by the eyes of faith. Can I hear an amen? And he made the road a little easier for somebody else. But we're locked into this. Because of our carnality, we have to get out of it by transforming our mind with the mind of faith. Because it's so easy to believe the negativity over and over again. If you don't watch it, you'll fall into that. And then people will avoid you because you're negative. Let me tell you this last story. I couldn't confirm this is actually true. Some say it is, some say it's not. A lady's buying groceries. It's in the summer, it's hot. She's not in a real great part of town. She, she gets the groceries, she puts them in the back seat of the car. She gets ready to leave. She hears a pop and something hits the back of her head. She thinks she's been shot. She feels something gooey back there. She thinks her brain's falling out. She leans back. She's paralyzed in fear. She's afraid she, she moves. She's going to make the situ situation worse. So somebody walks by, sees her in distress, and says, what's wrong? She says, I've been shot. My brains are coming out the back of my head. I need help. So the paramedics come. The police come. They gather around the car. And when they pull back her hand, they find biscuit dough. So she had bought some biscuits in the, in the tubes, and it had 
popped open and part of it hit her in the back of the head and she thought somebody shot her in the back of the head and her brains are falling out. You talk about worst case scenario. Let's just jump there. Now we're smiling, we're laughing, but let me tell you something. Some of us, immediately that's where we go. Worst case scenario. Well, we're all going to go hell in the handbasket. Everything's bad. Everything's horrible. I'm going to eat a worm. What is all this about this morning? God is saying, change your mind. Let it be a mind that has eyes to see what other people don't see. See opportunities. Don't just see the obstacles. If we just saw the obstacles, you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't have this sanctuary today. There wouldn't be this campus today if all we saw was obstacles. Somebody had eyes of faith. And friends, we're still seeing through eyes of faith. We've just started. We've just begun. Your best days are ahead of you. Don't focus on the negative. Our God is great and mighty and powerful and can do beyond what we can ask or think. So I'm going to see through eyes of my heart and eyes of understanding to see the power of God working in all of our lives. Instead of the enemy surrounding the camp, I want to see God surrounding the enemy, don't you? Instead of seeing a dried up desert land, I want God to say, well, in the middle of it, Mike, there's a well of refreshing right there. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, church at Ephesus. I'm praying that you would have eyes that you've never had before. If you're here today and saying, my marriage will never get better. My husband's a jerk and he'll always be a jerk. Look at him through a different set of eyes. My wife will never be the woman of my dreams. She's only the woman of my nightmares. <laughs> See through a different set of eyes. Man, I'm hitting a nerve today, aren't I? My business is going down the tubes. I'll never get a job. I'll never see my kids. I'll never see. Listen, listen. Don't confess that. Satan's first temptation to, to, to mankind. Don't you believe God? Because this is what he knows. When we believe God, he's defeated. When we believe God, he's defeated. And he's defeated every time. Because God will always have his way. He's not like man that's a liar. God's word is forever settled in heaven. Amen? Stand with me. Hang with us. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.